Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99% where the real gains are made. I've got Marilyn with me today. Hey, guys. And it is the two of us. So saddle up and get ready to hear a lot of the two of us talking back and forth here. Uh, We're missing out on Elliot today. Hopefully he's doing great. Um, And Marilyn is back from her trip. How How was your hiking trip? It was great. I hadn't done anything on my legs in a very long time. And then to suddenly hike, uh, one of the hikes was about three hours long and I definitely felt that. (laughs) Um, and I was pretty sore from it, but it was really great. It was beautiful. It was fun. And it was a, it was a good little trip for sure. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. It might be, might be a good thing to consider to keep a little weight bearing in there. Just, uh, I mean, just my whole, coach's two cents, but you the know. whole trip I kept saying, I'm going to start doing 20 minute jogs again. And then I got home and I haven't done one yet. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, a good thought. Yeah. Um, and I am fresh off of Ironman Tulsa, a solid slap in the face that Ironman can, can kind of deliver once in a while. Um, that is a, that is a brutal course and yeah, really, really fast field. And I kind of alluded to that on the previous podcast that my plan was to kind of go for it. And I had a pretty good swim and then got on the bike. And that's, that's kind of what I attempted to do is, is to go for it and ride with, ride with some of the guys in the, in the front pack there. And it turns out that I was just not quite ready to do that, that the, the field there was, was pretty strong. And I think about 60 guys finished and about, or sorry, 60 guys started and 30 guys finished. And that's because, uh, we were riding so hard at the beginning and yeah, people just got kind of chewed up and spat out and the people that could, could hang, hang with that ended up doing really well. And then people like me that tried and failed ended up not doing so well. Um, yeah, I also had a lot of other fun things like riding for four and a half hours in the rain. I don't know the last time I've even ridden on wet pavement because it doesn't rain here ever anymore, apparently. So, uh, so that was an interesting twist. Um, but I would definitely go back to that race. Like I said, the bike course was, was honest and there was some super chunky pavement in the beginning, but I have a feeling that they will modify that for next year because it was, it's kind of a distance grab and I'm, I'm pretty sure they could find some better pavement. So if you're really worried about that, I would say look out and I bet there'll be a new course for next year or at least slightly different to take out some of that, some of that chunk. Um, I'm sure if you, if you need a water bottle and you're in the Tulsa area, you can go drive that section of course. And there's probably 2000 water bottles there. So go check that out. Maybe some flat kits, some other good stuff. Did you uh, say you find- the first time you did an Ironman in about 15 months? Yeah, it was, that's like a, that's, it was like, welcome back. It's that kind of course, right? Yeah. It was not like doing Arizona where you can kind of float it and be all right. This was, this was, you know, almost 5,000 feet of climbing and no climbs. Like the longest climb was, I don't know, five minutes. So just, yeah, a lot of roll and, and that kind of stuff is, you know, it's hard on the legs and people can kind of override those rollers pretty easily. And, and so, yeah, I, I was, um, it was a good awakening, a good reminder that, that Ironman is really hard and, you know, it wasn't, wasn't my best day out there, but it is nice to kind of be racing again. And I'm, you know, already planning on, on getting back in the mix in another Ironman. So 
either uh, either I learned a lot or I just like getting smacked in the face or something. I don't know. We'll find out. But and we were also talking before we before that we started recording here is that like everybody's so excited to be back racing, right? And it's like it's changed the dynamics a little bit. So I'm sure a lot of people, not just you, are going home scratching their head, going, "Man, I'm going to have to reevaluate not only my." race strategy and and tactics going into these events but like and mindset but even your preparation because you're everybody's going into the these events with the similar preparation that you're used to but it seems like post covid after 12 months off people coming back to racing these big fields it's it's like it's almost like a rebirth of a different culture of racing out there i, I don't know we were talking a little bit about that it, it that feel that way to you? Yeah. Even, I mean, even the swim start, it's just, everything was full gas and no one was like, I think no one had that like fear of like having done an Ironman recently and remembering how much it hurts. So everyone was just willing to be like, Oh, I just, I can go full throttle because I haven't got the chance to go full throttle in a year and a half. And, and yeah, it was, it was game on. Like even I, even heard from some of the athletes at the start of the run where there was a group of guys running together and they were just, they were running like five forties or something, which the, the group of guys that was doing that was not in their wheelhouse um, to, <laughs> to be running. Like no one is going to run five forties for an Ironman. So I'm not sure why they, they, they were doing that for the first six miles, but, but yeah, that's just like the mentality right now is everyone is like, Oh, I've got, I've got one speed and it is pedals to the floor and we'll see what happens. And I remember actually one time, a long time ago, Chris McCormick said, we we're sitting around chatting and he said that he'll, he'll actually in a race, if he's, if he knows the course really well, and he would know the athletes really well, do exactly what you just said, where he'll take a split on them and be like, this, he'll know the run course record. He'll know the like top placings. He'll know the people, the course, and he'll be like, that guy's running. Yeah. Like you said, like five forty pace, there's no way he's going to hold that to the end. And, and then he had the confidence to just stick to his race plan instead of like putting, going full throttle as well. And then blowing himself up and beating himself based on someone else going too hard at the start. He was like, that's too fast for this. So I'm just going to hang back here and they'll come back to me. And, um, I thought that was really interesting to hear someone like him say that because he was a real tactician and he was really good at that kind of thing. So it's, you know, something to keep in mind too. Yeah. I think the hard thing right now is, is no one knows where everyone's at. And so you're like, well, anyone could be a hero right now. I've got no idea. Uh, And, and so, yeah, it was definitely like, it was hard to gauge because yeah, like I've raced all these guys or a lot of these guys in the past, but um, what they, what have they done for the last year and a half? Who's to say, you know? And I mean, and to your point, like hats off to, uh, to Andy Potts who did exactly that. And he didn't go with the group that was running too fast. If you watch like the, the tracker splits, he did his own thing and then he ran his way into the top 10 and you know, at, at 44, that's, uh, that's pretty cool to see. Gives me, gives me hope that I, maybe I'm not done yet. Um, heck yeah, no way you're done yet. (laughs) I see how fast you go in training all the time. (laughs) Just but, need the right day. But yeah, so that was, uh, it was, I mean, Tulsa, Tulsa tough. That was, uh, that was the <laughs> slogan of the race there. That was a, it was a good one. Nice. But today we are going to talk about 
um, another little trip down memory lane, but this is kind of the the entire industry that the growth and change in the industry over time, and ideally give maybe some coaches and athletes some some good takeaways as, as far as like what what they can what information they can glean from how coaching has evolved and how it can affect what they look for in a coach or how they interpret their own training and and yeah maybe it can influence coaches in how they right training for some of their athletes hopefully we can give some some positive advice across the board are you ready for that Woo-hoo. it's a big ask <laughs> right i think it's worth mentioning like how long when did you start coaching jesse i started coaching in 2012 2012 yep and i've been coaching i mean i started with show jumping coaching way back in the 90s um so i was you know that's what I, I was a full-time equestrian coach all through the nineties. I started triathlon coaching. Gosh, was that like 2002, 2001 um, was when I very, very first started. So quite some time ago now. Um, so it's definitely changed. I've definitely watched <laughs> the industry change. And most interestingly enough, I, I don't know if it's even worth mentioning, but really changed as a female coach. I mean, there's, there's a lot of changes there too. We didn't talk about that at all when we were going through our notes before, but that's something that we can touch on as well today. Yeah. I might not have as much to add to that part of the conversation, but, but for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I, I didn't mention that I also coached soccer and swimming uh, before that. So I, I, I did some coaching earlier on a coach and cross country track a little bit. So I've had some other experiences coaching, but triathlon coaching since 2012. Yeah. Nice. Um, I didn't get to coach diving ever, which is a real, a real sad point in my resume. Hopefully someday I'll be able to, oh, to fill that gap. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> um, so yeah, in your, in your two decades of coaching, what, uh, what is, what changes have you seen? What's the, the biggest change? I guess how in like day to day, how was your coaching back then? compared to what does it look like now? I would say the number one, you know, outs like biggest change obviously is technology, right? I mean, if we're, if we're specifically talking about remote coaching, which is what we'll sort of put our primary focus on, we'll touch a little bit on in-person coaching, but in terms of remote coaching, um, the, the biggest change is, is real obvious. It's technology, right? I mean, back then, it was literally... You, did you even have computers back then? Oh my gosh, right? Actually, through the first part, I didn't. I just went to like an internet cafe because I, oh, no. I didn't even have a phone. So you go to an internet cafe to use the computer there. You put like, you know, dollar bills or quarters in or wherever you were and you just worked on your email. But it was, you know, first at first it was just email. Like here's your training Monday through Friday, send the email, the person does the training and then once a week checks back in how it went and and that and if they had any questions in between or any concerns that popped up they they emailed you and um and you know you pretty much got to your emails maybe twice a week and and that was that was pretty much how it was um then it graduated to an excel spreadsheet 
So you could get it all in one place instead of just having, you know, 10,000 emails on one athlete that you're keeping a, a written log. I used to keep like a written diary. I still did that for a long, long time. And eventually technology got good enough that I started to trust it and, and ditch the logs, but um, and say, okay, it will stay all in this program. It's okay. Um, I was always afraid of it crashing and losing it. <laughs> one anyways. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was you, you know, you sent then in an Excel spreadsheet and I was so excited because you could write in it and then they could write back in it and you could keep it all together and, and the notes. Um, but it was still just mostly, you know, now that we have so many advancements in technology with power meters and heart rate. And I mean, the list goes on, right? I mean, there's so many things to regulate people. But just, performance just to, to sum that up though. Yeah. You had basically three, at most three points of contact with your athlete a week, right? Like your initial, like whatever, sending out of the workouts. And then maybe you checked your email twice. Yep. And if they had a questions, you might get like, you might email them back twice throughout the week. So like at most you're having three points of communication each week. Yep. And, and that's not looking at any data in between because it's just an email. So they're like, giving you little descriptions potentially of like what their, what their work, how their workouts went. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so you're, you're only getting the athlete's perspective on what they did. You don't get any raw data. And, you know, like, like I said, you, you're looking, you're getting information probably a lot of the time, once a week, maybe, maybe twice. Exactly. Yeah. And just, just being able to, and, and also because I didn't have a phone. So it's not like you jumped on the phone with them and, and had a big conversation about anything. And even I was coached like that by my coach, you know, the same way that I'm talking about, because it was back then. Um, it wasn't, it was that you got really good at communicating through email and, and understanding people's habits and patterns through the way they write and, and knowing that, how you're going to write something to them, you have to know them well enough to say, this is how they're going to interpret this. This is how they're going to read this because you're trying to, you didn't have that direct feedback of like, okay, here's their cadence, their heart rate, their power, or their, you know, their, their pace and their um, cadence and, and heart rate and all this thing that you can look and, and then compare it to their notes. But it was literally watching for um, habits and patterns within how they communicate in an email. And that's how you could regulate like how tired they were getting or if certain things were changing in their tone or just how, how much they were able to communicate through their email. So you, you still, it was almost like a collection of data, but just very different, right? It was, you had to be really, really good at, at, at that flow of conversation back and forth between people and figuring out, like you say, what it is they're really saying in those emails and in their training notes. Yeah. So that that communication wasn't just important. It was the only thing you were looking at. And I guess I'm, I'm, I'm hammering on this topic because I think it's one of the pieces that is maybe not as looked at as much now because we have so much data, but like, so to my point back when you were like racing professionally and being coached this way, you, you won an Ironman on your coach, not ever seeing data. Exactly. And that, yeah. that's kind of crazy to think about now. Right. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I did have him and I, we did have a, the opportunity to train together in person for good chunks of the year. So I'd spend, you know, maybe a block of time with him in person and then, but then the rest of the year, not in person at all. 
you know, just emails back and forth. And because I was racing professionally and um, we would email almost every day, like he would, e I would email my workouts that day and he would check back. How did it go? But it was, it was just that it was a conversation through email. How, did, oh, I want you to go do this ride at the start of the day or the night before I would go do it and tell him how I felt. And that was it. It was just a conversation through email. There was no, I mean, I didn't, I didn't use any power meter or heart rate or um, Garmin or anything like that. I, I did measure out like a mile on the road and he'd give me, or, you know, track workouts were measurable. Obviously the pool was measurable. So those kinds of things are like, I want you to run, you know, these mile splits. So I would literally go out there and measure it and with a, you know, chalk on the road or tape on the road. And okay, that's where my mile splits are going to be, which I actually find still more accurate than a lot of the garments. So right. <laughs> you know, there's, there's something to be said for that too, but yeah. Yeah. And I think the, like I said, that the reason why I'm kind of sticking on this subject for a while is, is ah. I think it's, it's a really important piece in that, that communication and learning how to talk to your athletes and what, how they're going to interpret what you're saying. And then how you interpret the, the things that they say about how the workouts went. I think that's like a real, a real art to communication and a real art to, to the coaching piece that, I mean, if, if you fast forward to now where we both use training peaks, we both see athletes uploaded workouts. And I know, I know you check every single day, you're, looking at every single workout that every single athlete did. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I am a little bit less than that. I, I tend to look maybe five days a week instead of seven. I'm sorry, athletes. I, but I, I you try and check. Have, you also have a small child. So, uh, <laughs> but, but still it's, um, and when you're looking at now at training peaks for, I'd say, you know, at least 80% of your athletes, you're looking at the GPS file which you're looking at a power file, you're looking at heart rate, you can see the weather conditions, you can see, you know, every data point for how those workouts went, even in the swim. Now, most athletes wear a Garmin or some sort of swim tracking device. So you can see how fast they hit all their splits in the pool. Mm -hmm. If they actually descended that set. And then you also have the written comments, which again is, is something that I'm still talking to athletes about making sure they include a lot of athletes think that data is just enough. But, um, like we said, like before we didn't even have the data and people were doing really well. So maybe the written stuff is more important than the actual data, but, but yeah, to go from one email a week with the written down training to seeing every step an athlete took and knowing their stroke count, every lap in the pool is kind of like a, a crazy pendulum swing over the course of I mean, I know for you, it's been like about 20 years of coaching. And for me, it's a little less than that, but even in the, in the 10 years I've been coaching, like I, I didn't start out like, or when I was an athlete back then, I didn't start out with training peaks. And so I've kind of experienced the majority of that pendulum swing as well. And, and fortunately ever since I've been coaching, it's been with a program like training Peaks, So I, I haven't had that experience on the other side, but, um, but yeah, it, a lot has changed in, in the last 20 years of technology there. And it's good, right? I mean, I think the more information you can have when you're remote coaching like that, the better, right? So I always encourage athletes like, yeah, if you download files, whatever it is that you've got. Um, but it is that piece of communication and writing. And, and I'll even say to certain athletes of mine, it's what I'm monitoring is 
yes, what you write is really important, like how you felt, how the session went, because I'm cross-referencing based on like what it is I was trying to get out of you that day. And then what does the data look like? So how did you feel? What does the data look like? What was I trying to get out of you? But the other, the really important piece that we keep talking about is if I have an athlete that I know when things are good, all they ever say in their, in their notes is good, good. Yep. Good, good. That's okay. That's fine. Because if I see that every single day for, you know, four months with the oddly, you know, change in that, then that's that person. And as a coach, you know that, you know that about that person. Everybody communicates a little differently. Everybody has, some people like to write a lot of stuff and they've got, you know, a lot of, a, a way that they like to, to explain their workouts and what was important to them and what happened. And the big thing that you're watching for over time is changes in that. And if you're, especially if you're being hired to be a coach, you're essentially asking someone to come in and help you change to be better. And so what I'm watching for as the coach is what, what habits and patterns are holding this person back based on the way that they see themselves and the way they communicate and how they're analyzing and, and working through their own process of training. And you can see that in their notes versus, or like, Hey, I think if you think this way, or you try this, or you maybe try this approach, or we try and change the way you think about this a little bit this way, we're going to get more out of you. And that's a huge part of coaching. And I think, you know, back the, the changes are, yes, we have more data, which is great because we can cross-reference all of that. And it's so much more detailed to be able to monitor the athlete, but the lost piece of that communication, I push my athletes all the time. I know you do too, to say, Hey, we have to keep this open communication log going because it is a data point that you're also collecting on the person to do your job, which is to help them change for the better. Um, and, it, and it's a, like I say, it's different for everyone, but you will notice changes in communication when something's happening with the athlete. Like I'll know something's up and I can reach out and text or another format and say like, Hey, you know, just based on maybe three or four days of their communications changed, even though they haven't said anything. Yeah. And I think that's the point too, where an athlete can still be hitting the, hitting the workout as far as like the data goes. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the, even the way they're writing what they're writing, like you can tell that, yeah, they didn't feel quite right and they can still check the box, but maybe they're getting sick or, you know, what, there's something else going on there. And then you can, you, you can use that to, to problem solve much sooner than before they completely fall off the rails and can no longer complete the workouts. Yep. Exactly. So, so yeah, that, that communication piece is, is super important. And, and, and yeah, I think that the data is really important as well, but, um, but having, having that other piece in there is as important piece of the puzzle there um, for, for getting that whole picture of the athlete. A change in style of, of the way like a lot of coaches coach that has happened over time. Um, yeah, I think, you know, when I started out, there just wasn't as many coaches. You know, it was, there certainly wasn't really, honestly, there wasn't that many female coaches. Um, so you know, now it's, it's something that a lot of people do, which is, which is great. You know, there's more, there's always, everybody has something that they can teach somebody. So it's great that there are a lot of coaches out there because, you know, there's going to be somebody to help the next person and, and bring up, you know, give good advice and, and help someone reach their goals. Um, but I think that, you know, it's like, it's not, you have to be careful to know, like, what it is that you need out of someone to get better. You know what I mean? So like, 
there wasn't as many coaches back then. And, and the coaching style was maybe a little bit more, um, focused on developing the athletes. And so now there's sort of a variety of different styles that based on what you want, you can get, some might be just completely, um, all about, you know, uh, team and friendships and that kind of thing, but there's actually not that much experience in developing an athlete. Some might be, um, all about developing an athlete, but have, you know, no website and nothing fancy or pretty or no frills or um so i think i don't know if i'm really answering your question here i'm sort of jumping all over the place i guess the style back then was everyone was kind of the same but they they were like like if you look at like mark allen dave scott scott molina brett sutton you know surrey lindley like these people who were there have been there a long time they had their their style but not necessarily different programs, you know, and now there's a lot of different programs out there. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, um, no, totally. It makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think there's, and I think one thing you said really well, there's like developing an athlete, right. To, to kind of reach their athletic potential, like at some point down the line. And, and I think that that's, um, that's something that's, that's how the kind of coaching field started in triathlon, right? It's like you sat down and you were like, okay, like let's talk about five years from now because in any sort of endurance sport, like it takes a lot of time to build that, that capacity to, to be your very best. Right. And, and so that kind of long-term approach of athletic development was, I mean, when I started coaching or when I got into the sport, that was what most of the coaches seemed to be into. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think like you're saying now is like, there's that, that kind of long-term approach isn't, isn't what you see from all the coaches now. Now there are like, I think there's a lot more like people that are striving to just complete a race. Mm -hmm. And there might be some more coaches that are, that are geared towards like, well, you want to cross the finish line in six months. What can we do to get you there? And I, yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like people are always going to have short-term goals. And I think finishing any race is always like an awesome accomplishment. And that's, um, that's something that, you know, that's a great thing to have in there, but that, that maybe that piece of like long-term development isn't, isn't evident in, um, or isn't a thought process that everyone goes through anymore. Yeah, there's much, there's a lot more, there's a lot more variety out there. I mean, someone can just like log on and be, oh, I just want to buy this one-time package, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm just going to buy a, a, you know, that this package for, you know, one event and that's it. And, and before you didn't really do that. Like you hired a coach because you wanted to work with them and then you were going to develop over months and years and from race to race and that kind of thing. And, and everybody's sort of had that approach. And then, you know, that the idea of like templates and, and clubs and teams and all of these things, those are all really, really in the most recent years and having like a coach for, you know, this team or this, you know, this team event and that kind of thing. Um, that's, and, you know, you can buy a 16 week program for, um, X, Y, and Z. I mean, I, those have been around a while, but it wasn't sort of the basis of the coaching industry. And there's, there's a lot, a lot more of that, which I guess it gives people a lot more options to pick from what, what is best for them. And that's why, you know, we would talk a little bit about like 
okay, are you a new coach? Do you understand what being a new coach means? And what are your athletes? Who are the athletes that you're targeting? That's a big thing. Like what did it, what is it that you have to offer that's going to help somebody be better and make sure that you, you know, stay close to that, that you're not trying to do something above what you're meant to. Um, we talked a little bit about this too. I think one of the other really big changes is that as coaches now, we're expected to, and, and it's a good thing, it pushes us, but we're expected to know a little bit about every faucet of the, in, of, of the industry. And what I mean by that is you're somewhat of a physical therapist, a coach, a strength trainer, a nutritionist, a sports psychologist, a bike fitter, a gait analysis, um, you know, all of these things, which we have to, it keeps pushing us as coaches to learn more and more and more and have a bigger toolbox, which I think is great. But I think it's also important to remember to have a good network of people who are specialist in each of those things that once you've reached your capacity or you say like, hey, this is, this is maybe not even my wheelhouse. I'll just refer you to a specialist in this that's in my network of, and team. And, and then every, you know, you, you don't have to try and be an expert in all of those things. Be a really great coach with a good team around you is, is what I like to do. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I, uh, I, I always have athletes send, send me video if I can't meet them in person of all those things, like a swim video, run video, bike video. And, and, you know, I, I am 100% not a bike fitter. I am actually pretty bad at even working on bikes, let alone trying to work on someone else's bike while they're on it. Um, but I, you know, I've seen a lot of people ride bikes so I can look at them and say, Hey, like you should probably get a bike fit. Or I can say, Hey, if you're comfy, that actually looks pretty good. Um, so yeah, kind of that, that, that baseline knowledge. And then like, like you said, like, you know, have some people or be able to reach out and, and, you know, talk to other people in their area and, help them find good people so that they can get a good bike fit, have a good PT and, and have that, that team that's like your team. And then also their team so that they can, they can excel. But yeah, like 10 years ago, you weren't getting a bunch of YouTube videos of athletes swimming and a bunch of YouTube videos of athletes running. You're just like, Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, they would have had to carry like a big, right? They didn't have a camera on their phone. They would have had to actually legit carry a video camera. So the effort would have been so high. They're like, no. the only swim videos you got, they were like those legit actual swim, you know, underwater analysis swim videos because nobody just could like stick a phone in the water. Right, right. <laughs> video, yeah, which is cool, right? I mean, it's great. I think all that stuff is great. The more of that stuff we can get, is the better for sure. But you know, it's it is good to outsource to specialists that are in your in your team if you can. Yeah, but yeah, like you said, it is just another thing that like coaches now have to do that wasn't even a consideration a decade ago. But yeah, you have to be like at least somewhat proficient at looking at all those things. And, and yeah, like you said, it is great. It is important. You can spot injuries before they occur by, by taking a look at a lot of that stuff and, and shoring up weaknesses ahead of time. Mm -hmm. But it is another, like we were talking about, like another thing that like is kind of on your coach's plate is like, you know, above and beyond, like having a whole bunch of new data to look at. You also have a lot of new data by looking at them, like how they move in sport. And so, yeah, we get a ton more data points than we had a decade ago. Yeah. And the other thing that's really changed is, you know, when I, when I was racing and, and I still actually encourage this with most of my athletes, um, you saw your coach once a year for a camp, 
you know, and that's why I still like to have a camp at the start of every year. And it's really, really helpful to get a good look at them in person for one week a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I always, like I said, I used to do that. I used to fly all the way to New Zealand to train with Scott for, I mean, it was a little longer than a week. It was, you know, a few months, um, but it was important to see each other in person. I, I like to see my athletes in person once a year, if I can. Um, we don't, you know, with the amount of stuff that we're able to access now remotely, all this technology, it allows us to not have to do that in some ways. I still think it's great. I still think nothing can really replace that in-person contact once a year where you get to sit down at the table at the end of the night and have maybe have dinner together. We get to see each other out on, out on the, on the bike. I get to see what you look like in the water, those kinds of things. It's there's in person is always, if you just get that chance once a year, it, it really, really helps the whole process, but there, and back then it was nearly essential, you know, because it was just email. If you could have that in-person contact once a year, it just, it made all the difference for the year. Now it's still really important, but you don't have to do it. Um, there is enough technology out there that you can really do still a, a really great job at coaching and, and never see someone in person. So I think, you know, having people like I have people all the way in Dubai and, um, you know, in Europe and, and that kind of stuff. And it's so, if, I, I'm not going to get a chance to see them in person, but I can see everything really well with the technology we have now. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, I, as we're doing this over zoom, like we can, you can see an athlete's eyes and you can kind of understand like what they're, uh, how they're saying what they're saying much more than even just like a telephone call. So yeah, I think that the, the technology is there where it's not, necessary anymore but it is nice and you can you can still glean things that you can't glean um through like the technology like like those you know like when athlete you can put on a pretty face for a bike fit and hold position like you should or run pretty for a gait analysis because like you probably have an idea of what running pretty looks like but when you see an athlete four and a half K into a five K swim. And you can say, okay, like now I can see what's going on because it's blatantly obvious. Cause you're really tired or, you know, whatever, 80 miles into a hundred mile ride. Or then you can talk to them after when their guard is down, they're a little bit tired. They're sitting on the couch and you can kind of get those, those real moments that you can learn more information from, you know, kind of like you learn more from failures and successes. You can see the, those moments when things get hard and how they react and how their body position changes and all that stuff that, um, that, you know, you can't always get through technology. I've also noticed that has changed. And I think people have to be wary of is that, you know, let's say back even, you know, in the nineties or when I started, um, some of the really great coaches, John Hellemans was a really great coach, um, back then. And, and for many decades, he was a great coach, developed so many amazing athletes and all different distances. And he would literally give you a piece of paper and write down your workouts Monday through Sunday and say, repeat this for the next three weeks and then come back to me. And that was it. Um, and then he had three weeks, you'd go to his office. He was a doctor, Dr. John Hellemans, and you would go into his office and he would write down Monday through Sunday, repeat this for the next three weeks and then come back to me. And where I'm going with this story is that now with all the options we have out there, 
people, and we can say this across the board with most things, people get really bored really fast and they are looking for things to be changing and exciting all the time. And they maybe aren't getting the benefit they could out of just simple repetition because they're always looking for the next thing on Zwift or the next you know, exciting new workout or the next, you know, it should, it should look different every single time, or I don't want to repeat the same session. Cause I get bored. Um, being bored as an Ironman athlete's a good skill to develop. <laughs> you got to learn to manage to be bored. I mean, you're going to be, when you're out there for eight and a half to 17 hours or whatever, you know, you are going to have to learn how to cope with being bored. And so there's some, there's actually some coaching in that you know, and now people will lose their patience with you on that. And then they go, they're so eager to look for the next best thing that then they also change coaches every, you know, two or three months because they're always looking for that. And that, that is a pitfall that is to watch out for, because I think then you really aren't getting the most out of yourself when you're, when you're doing that kind of thing. Yeah. And I know, um, I'm actually guilty of that as a coach where I'm like, I try not, I try and keep that variety in there for athletes. And I even have athletes that come to me like, Hey, I like, I kind of like doing those bench benchmark sets or repeating those swim sets once every three weeks or whatever. So you can kind of like have that familiar thing where you, you stay in touch with like, you know, am I improving Did I, you know, did that set feel different, even if I didn't go faster or whatever. So I, I think, yeah, I think that's actually, it's, it's really simple. And I think it's something that both athletes and coaches can kind of maybe learn from that. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy. And sometimes that, that simple repeatable pattern of, of doing the same thing a few times in a row is actually okay. And you can develop a lot, even within that, even if it doesn't look like this, this amazing, fancy, intricate plan. One other thing that I, I mentioned uh, very briefly at the start there, and I don't know how much, you know, is worth worth talking about it, but I, I, I will say, um, as a female coach, I've noticed big changes. Um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't that many female coaches for a long time. And, and now there is, which I think is fantastic. And there also wasn't surprisingly, there wasn't very many females that hired female coaches. But when I first started coaching almost, I think I had one female athlete and all my athletes were males. Uh, and now more females seek out female coaches. So I don't, I, I don't, I think it's just worth mentioning that that's definitely a change I've noticed. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's, you know, people are more comfortable with that or, or what, what, if the industry's changed or if people's, um, how that's come about, but I, I will say it's definitely something I've noticed in the last, you know, over two decades, I, I would say I had, you know, one female athlete for the longest time, all males. And then now it's pretty 50, 50, you know, men and women. So, um, and it is that most females, even the females I knew, they, they didn't want female coaches. They want male coaches. So, you know, I don't, it's just something worth noting as a change because that's what we're talking about today is the change in the industry and the sport. And, and um, that's definitely something I've noticed. Do you think that's, do you think part of that is due to like an increase in like female participation in sport? Or do you think that that would be the same, like that changes kind of like a side to that? 
I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like I say, I would have to do a lot more digging into that topic. I just, you know, sort of brought it up as a side note. Um, but yeah, definitely. Maybe there's just more, more women, like you say, more women in sport. Maybe there's, you know, more women having, you know, wanting to get into coaching, uh, where they, where they weren't before. So I, I'm not exactly sure how to pinpoint the evolution there, but it's certainly worth, worth noting and, and maybe something we could dive into another time. Yeah. And I wonder too, if there's also like maybe more women coaching other sports, because mm -hmm. like, I know I had a few, a few female coaches when I was swimming. And so I, I think because of that experience, it, it doesn't like, it doesn't phase me whether a coach is like male or female, cause I've been coached by guys and girls my, my whole life. Yeah. And, but I, I know other people, maybe if you only had male coaches, maybe it'd be like, you might think about it a little bit differently. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's like a, a trickle over effect there or not. Sure. Yeah. So another thing we, we kind of talked about ahead of time that we wanted to touch on is with like this, this change in the coaching industry, there's like a, a lot of different experience levels in, in various coaches across the board. And I, I remember like um, having a conversation with, with Chris bag, a, a coach that, you know, I respect a lot and kind of bounce ideas off of once in a while. And he, he was, I, we were talking about like how the, like the kind of pay per hour for coaching can kind of look high when you're just factor in like the amount of time it takes to say, write a set of workouts for an athlete or, you know, over time. But, but then he, he kind of brought up the point that like, well, that's not, they're not paying for like how long it takes you to write the workouts. They're paying for your expertise and your knowledge in, in sport and all the thought process that you put in to what you're writing down for each athlete, because it's not just the time it takes to type it or the time it takes to have that conversation. It's all that reasoning behind. And like, I'm sure you're probably the same way where you, before you write training, you probably have that ball rolling around in your head for like, you know, hours or days, or like, I mean, I feel like I've get, get the, the thought process of what, what's going on for an athlete's training will stay in my head for like a five hour ride. And it'll be like that, you know, depending on where, you know, it'd be like the same athletes that I'm thinking about for over and over again. And, and, you know, then like the next day, it's like the, the next set of athletes are all kind of rolling through your head. So it's, you know, there, there is a, a big thought process going on there and it, it's, it's coming from that not only experience in 10 years of coaching, but also like being an athlete myself and like all the things that, you know, so there's, there's a lot of, a lot of thought going on besides just the, um, the actual putting pen to paper. Yeah. I like to, and I, that's exactly right. I always joke about it. You know, if you're, if you need, if you, if you need a specialist and a physician, like I need an ear, nose and throat specialist, or I need a cancer specialist, I'm probably not going to go to the urgent care walk-in. Right. But if I just have a, a cold or, you know, something like that, I don't need to go see a cancer specialist. I just need to go to the walk-in clinic. So it's, you know, you're paying for a per, like exactly what you say, you're paying for a person's level of expertise and their level of experience and years doing it. And with the, with the, you know, way coaching is now, there's so many coaches out there. It's good to make sure that whoever you find is at the right level of experience for what you need. And if, you know, if they're charging 
a lot for their expertise, it's probably because they have a lot of experience to offer. And, and that's what you're paying for. I mean, that's why you're seeking them out is because you need someone with that level of experience and, and not just as a coach, just because you're a great athlete doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach. Um, and, and, you know, you see, it helps to have that experience to be able to, that you've, you've walked the walk and you've been there at some point. So I will say like, a lot of great coaches have at least been there, done it themselves at some point, but not all. I've seen lots of great coaches who have never done, you know, never done an Ironman, but they've coached hundreds and hundreds of athletes successfully. But it, but it definitely helps, you know, if you walk the walk yourself and you've been through all of that, as well as you've coached a lot of different athletes, read a lot of different training files, looked at tons and tons of data. You've tried lots of different combinations of programming that works on different people and seen it succeed or fail. Then that's what you're really paying for. So you want to make sure that, you know, whoever you seek out, if you're a beginner, maybe you don't need someone super, super advanced, or maybe you do, you know, but, but be aware of that when you're going in. Yeah. And if, if you're a, you know, a mediocre athlete, that doesn't also mean you're going to be a mediocre coach. Right. So like, you know, maybe I've never won an Ironman, but that doesn't mean I couldn't coach someone to potentially do that. Right. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, Elliot, um, you know, coached me through a lot of Ironmans and he's never done one. So it's not, there's not definitely a direct correlation there, but like you said, I think having that experience can definitely help, but I think also having experience developing different athletes to that point is probably more important. And, you know, getting to do things like this, where you're getting to chat with other coaches and, and hear what they have to say and, and kind of listen to other opinions and, and ideas on, on how to get athletes to the same place is, has been a big part for, I guess, me developing coaching personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that's an I was part of the network with endurance corner for you know 12 years. And that was such a important process and important part of my coaching development is I came in new and young and as an athlete, and I was surrounded by a really good team of coaches right off the bat that I could they could mentor me and, and learn, you know, uh, Gordo and Alan and you know, Alan, one of he's just such a great sports physiologist and could explain the science side of everything well above anybody's head. Um, um, you know, and, and just their real world world experience. And then there was a whole network and team of us that we could do exactly this, get together and talk every week, any question you had. And so they really, really mentored me. And I think, I think that that's a, maybe that's changed a little in the coaching industry where there isn't as many coaches coming together to help each other and even mentor young coaches up. I have all kinds of athletes that I coach that are coaches themselves and even ones that are athletes that eventually want to become coaches and, and do mentoring that way. And I, I'm passionate about that and really enjoy that because I think that's how we keep getting better. Um, there used, like I say, there used to be the group of us, we could, we could talk to each other all the time. Hey, I've got this athlete and I'm experiencing this. Have you, have, do you have any, what's your thoughts on it? What's your experience? And then we all get better. And, and now I feel like sometimes coaches are um, sort of, it's gotten a little bit like competitive and they're afraid to talk to one another. And I think we could all be better if we're better about talking to one another. One of the nicest compliments that I got about our podcast was from someone saying that all three of us 
don't, it doesn't ever sound like we're in competition with one another. We're just simply having great conversations about coaching and helping each other out. And, and I feel that way too. And I think it's important to keep evolving, to, um, to have that network and to be able to do that. And so, but I have noticed that change over the years, you know, more, not as many coaches are willing to do that. And, um, I think it's hurting the industry just a tiny bit. So I think that is a good thing to, to lean on. Yeah. I think it's interesting because at the start of this, we talked about how technology was like increasing communication a hundredfold, but it's almost like isolated communication between other coaches because it, maybe it doesn't feel as necessary because we have all these other things to lean on, but, but yeah, I totally agree. Good stuff. And hopefully, you know, just keeps on getting better. We keep pushing each other. We push, we push our athletes and we keep pushing ourselves as coaches to keep getting better and better. Yeah. I mean, you see the sports getting, getting faster and faster. And hopefully part of that is because the, the coaching is getting better and better. And yeah, so hopefully we can be a, be a part of that and help other coaches help their athletes get faster and get a little better ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you for spending the time chatting with me today. It was as always a ton of fun. Yeah. Fun conversation for sure. And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get back to you guys next week. Thank you very much for listening. Cheers.